Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. There is one thing that you and I long for in every relationship, whether we are dating or married, whether we're in a friendship or whether it's a parent to a child or a child to a parent. The one thing that we long for is trust. And trust is the confidence that what you said you're gonna do, you're actually gonna do. You're gonna follow through. And your ability to trust someone is found in your willingness to trust someone because trust is a risk. And that risk actually has a great reward. Because if you trust somebody, you end up developing a pretty powerful relationship, one filled with love and encouragement, one filled with accountability. But trust is also risky because sometimes our trust can be mismanaged and misused. And that's tough, right? And that's why a lot of us sometimes struggle with trusting the people around us. The truth is, and I don't think I have to convince you of this, trust is hard to earn and it's easy to lose. It's hard to earn and it's easy to lose because there's layers to it. Like the first layer of trust is the speed of trust. We ask the question, how long will it take me to trust you? And then you have to prove yourself or I have to prove myself to you. And just because you've trusted somebody doesn't mean that you're close with them, that you're friends with them, that there's intimacy in your relationship, right? There's layers or levels of trust where we get to know one another. Like we might trust people on the outer peripheral of our relationships, right? But then if they get into that second circle, then there's a different layer of trust. And if they're at the core of our life, if they're an intimate friend, then there's really a different layer of trust. And here's the truth. Trust influences your ability to tell better stories. It's what opens up the door for you to tell a better story in your life and to help others to tell a better story. And when we talk about trust, this isn't just about a person to person relationship, a human to human relationship. When we talk about trust, we talk about it in these terms in reference to God as well. Like we ask questions like, can we take God at his word? That's the speed of trust. We wonder if God will come through and keep to his promises. That's the level of trust. And all of these are appropriate and important questions. This is why the Jewish people actually participated in a rhythm of remembering in their life. They would choose every day to try to remember what God had done in the past to help them to trust God in the present so that they would continue to trust God in the future. And this rhythm of remembering was actually built on repetition. Wherever they were, no matter who was around, They would just tell the stories of God. They would talk about what he did and who he is and how he came through. Sometimes the stories were from last week or last month or last year. And other times the stories were from years ago. They weren't even alive. They just talk about their ancestors. A lot of the stories they would talk about would be ones that are familiar to us, like the creation story, that God is the creator of all things and he made things good because he called them good. They would tell the story about how God rescued and saved the people of God, the Israelites, from Egypt out of slavery. And they walked across the Red Sea with walls of water on each side and the ground they walked on was dry and the walls held just long enough 
so that every one of those Israelites could get across. And some estimates say that there was about a million to a million and a half Israelites that walked across the Red Sea. They talk about the story about when they were in the desert or their grandfather or their great-grandfather or their ancestors in the desert when they had no food and God miraculously provided food or when they were longing for something to drink and God provided something to drink from a dry rock. They would tell the story about how David fought Goliath and God helped him to defeat Goliath and the Philistines. They would talk about the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel as he stood face to face with the prophets of Baal and they believed that they were worshiping the one true God. They believed that their God was the sun, the sun God. And they believed that he was going to come through and then Elijah says, no, my God will come through. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that God came through. And they would talk about how Ezekiel, another prophet, would lay on one of his sides of his body for weeks and months on end just to prove a point about God's faithfulness. And they would tell these stories every day, in every moment, as a reminder of what God has done so that they could trust God today and continue to trust God into the future. These stories would emphasize that God is trustworthy and he's proven it. He's made it very clear. And for you and for me in the world that we live in, the greatest evidence that God is trustworthy is found in the person and work of Jesus. It was the promise of God that a Messiah would come, a Savior would be born, and we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, and that's what we're celebrating, that Jesus has come, that God is here, and God came through. He kept to his word. Theologian Dallas Willard once wrote this, it is not possible to trust God in matters where we do not believe him to be competent. In these stories of God that the Israelites would tell one another were a reminder of God's competency, that God is trustworthy. He is worth our trust in the past. He's worth our trust in the present and he will be worth our trust in the future. But trust isn't just about what God has done for us. Trust is also about our response to what God has done for us. Like if he's trustworthy and you and I choose to trust him, what does that mean for our lives? Like what does it look like to live a life where we actually trust God? What does it sound like? What are the behaviors of the people who trust God? I want to talk about that today. And if you're watching or if you're listening, I'm so glad that you're joining us here at Active Church. My name is Mike and I serve on the team. And we're in a series called A Little Louder. And we're talking about how we can get a little louder about who God is and what God does in moments that are hard and painful and heavy and there's issues and tension. How we can turn the volume up on what God does for us and through us and in us and around us. And today I want to talk about trust. But not that God is trustworthy. That's been made very clear. I want to talk about when we trust God, what it does to us and for us and how it shapes our life. And I want to use two examples from the Christmas story. They're pretty well known in the Christmas story. Joseph and Mary, they made a decision to trust God. And sure, they had all of the trust issues. They had all of the emotions and feelings that you and I have because they are as human as we are. And yet they made a decision to trust God. And friends, that decision changed the world. So I want to show you what happened 
in their life, in their story. Some of it will be very familiar because it's the Christmas story. But I want to share with you about their decision and what their decision actually looked like in action. Because in their decision, we see what trusting in God looks like in action. And I believe it'll help us to get a little louder this Christmas. So if you have a Bible or the Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to the letter that Matthew writes in the New Testament. And as you're turning there, we're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 18. As you're turning there, let me tell you about Matthew. He was a former tax collector. He was the worst of the worst during that time. Not many people liked him. And then Jesus asked him to follow. And Matthew left everything and followed Jesus, and his life was changed. Three years following Jesus, he saw Jesus die and rise. And he began to write about what he experienced, everything he watched and heard and listened to, everything he participated in. In his letter... He wrote with hope that you and I would read it and we would choose to follow Jesus as well. And it's at the beginning of his letter that he introduces the story of Jesus, which is also the story of Christmas. And it helps us to learn about this moment of trust that Mary and Joseph made that changed everything and allowed them to get a little louder. And I believe will help us to get a little louder. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 reads this way. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found out she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this might seem odd to us in our world, but it wasn't odd in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, if you were engaged, you were seen as a married couple. And a married couple would participate in everything except for physical intimacy until the wedding day. And so Joseph and Mary were almost like husband and wife. They just hadn't come together in the marriage bed. They hadn't been physically intimate. And then this message comes to Joseph. And he hears that his wife is pregnant. And Joseph's like, and I wasn't a part of that. And so in Jewish culture, the man could eliminate his marriage vows, his marriage by simply saying to his wife three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And then he would be free. He could get out of the relationship. And Joseph is having thoughts about doing this, but yet we are told by Matthew that he is an honorable man. He honors Mary and he honors God. And he didn't want to disgrace her. He didn't want to out her, air the dirty laundry. Hey, she's pregnant and I wasn't a part of it. And so Matthew tells us he wanted to do this privately. He wanted to end the relationship because his heart was broken, but he didn't want to end her and destroy her reputation. But then we're told in verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel appears to Joseph in this dream. And the angel says to Joseph, your wife has not been unfaithful. In fact, she has been so faithful that God has decided to choose her to bring the hope of the world into the world. And then he gives them a very specific description of who that hope is. In verse 21, he says, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which is a a word that was from a Latin word, which was from a Greek word, which was from a Hebrew word. The name is Yeshua or Joshua. It means warrior, savior, 
because he will save his people from their sins. It won't be a battle or a war in the physical world, but he will actually save them from what they need to be saved from the most, the way they destroy themselves. And this moment for Joseph actually happens just after this similar moment happens for Mary. And it was Luke that records that story. Luke was a doctor, intelligent man, brilliant man. And he tells the story of Mary's interaction with an angel. And he gives some specifics in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary. She was pregnant and the baby that she was going to give birth to, they would name him John. And you and I know him as John the Baptist. And we read that God sent an angel named Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and this virgin's name is Mary. Now, just an aside, I love how Luke writes, and I love how most of the writers of the scriptures write. They write in such a way that allows us to continue to believe that what they're writing is true. They give us reasons to trust what they're saying, reasons to trust the Bible, because Luke specifically gives us names and places and dates and locations. He is saying to us without actually saying it out loud, you want to fact check me? You can. This is historically accurate. These are real people in a real time who were really alive serving a real God. And if you want to look it up, you can. That's why he gives us all of these details. And then he continues with a story in verse 28. He says, an angel went to her, this is Mary, and said, greetings, you who are highly favored in the Lord. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because Mary is a nobody from nowhere. And she was taught and was convinced that God doesn't do big things through small people. And so why is an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, why is he here to speak to me? Because God only does things through like Moses and David and John the Baptist, right? And yet here we are. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary asked the question that we should all ask if we are ever in this situation. She says, how will this be? How am I going to give birth to a baby since I am a virgin? She paid attention in biology class. She's like, I know how this works. I've, I, I watch the videos. I listen to the teacher. I have not participated in the process of having a child. So how can this be? And what Luke writes next and what the angel says is a little bit strange. I'll be honest with you. But what, what Luke writes and what the angel says is a delicate way to explain why this is actually happening because Mary's asking the question, why am I having a baby when I haven't participated in that process? The angel says, you're going to have a baby and yet still remain a virgin. So very delicately, very thoughtfully, the angel says to Mary, and Luke writes these words down, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Not the Son of Mary, not the Son of Joseph, but the Son of God. Now, quick survey for those watching, for those listening. How many of you have heard the phrase Son of God connected to the person of Jesus? Just show of hands. My, my hand's up because I've heard it, and I'm assuming many of your hands are up. Isn't it fascinating that this is exactly what the angel said would happen? That whenever we talk about Jesus, the name Son of God would be connected to it. 2,000 years later, that title is connected to Jesus. And this angel said that would happen to Mary. And we're not surprised by it. But you know who was? Mary. She was very surprised by this because what she's hearing is Mary from nowhere who is a nobody. You're going to have a son and he's going to be the son of God, that's going to be his reputation. And you're going to give birth to the hope of the world. And then it happened. And here you and I are, halfway across the planet, some 2,000 years later. And we know about Jesus. Whether we believe in him or not is a different conversation. We know about Jesus. And we know that he is called the son of God. And the angel said that would happen. It's not a surprise to us. And it's not a surprise to Luke who writes later on that the angel said this to Mary, for nothing is impossible with God. The God who is for you and not against you, the God who created you and loves you, who redeems and renews and restores you, nothing is impossible with this God. A virgin can give birth to the Son of God. Nothing's impossible. He will make a way when there is no way. He is trustworthy. He is true. And that God, in that moment, is inviting Mary and Joseph to trust him. And not just in word, but in action, to live a certain way, to choose a specific direction. This isn't a trust that when things are falling apart, they just shout it out, well, hey, God is still on the throne. Maybe you've heard that over the last couple of years. It's a cliche that a lot of people who say that they're Christians, who choose to follow Jesus, will throw out as a way of trying to settle their own heart when things don't seem to be going their way. But this is more than that. This is men and women, specifically a man and a woman, deciding that they're going to trust God, not just in words, but in action. And you know how the story goes, right? I mean, come on, it's the, it's the Christmas story. You know how it concludes. You know what's done. You know where they go. Here's what we're told by Matthew and by Luke. First, in Matthew, he finishes Joseph's story with these words. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary as his wife. And then Luke says that Mary responds to the angel Gabriel with these words, I am the Lord's servant, and may it be to me as you have said. They decided to make one decision. They decided to trust God. And maybe if we take their words in their time and drop them into our time, maybe their words would sound a bit like this. God, I trust you. So God, interrupt my plans so that your plans can be accomplished. God, I trust you. So God, disrupt my way so that your will can be done. This strange, 
unorthodox request of God to Mary and Joseph may be something that they didn't fully understand. They didn't know the entire story, but you know what they did? They fully obeyed. They chose to submit and apply. They chose to submit to what God was saying and apply what God was asking. Because trusting God is choosing to move when God said to move. And what we learn from Mary and Joseph is simply this. To understand what God is doing, we must submit and apply what God is asking. Maybe a better way to say it is this. Trusting God is choosing to submit to God and to apply his word. It's not just us saying, yeah, that's great. God, we trust you. But it actually shapes and influences everything we do when we say that we trust God. It shapes and influences all of our directions, all of our decisions, all of our stories. Mary and Joseph decided that God was competent, that this seemed odd, strange, a bit unorthodox. Nothing's impossible with God. And they trusted him because he was competent. He was trustworthy. He has come through in the past and they're like, all right, we're going to submit and apply to what it is that you're asking and inviting. We're going to do that. So in light of all of that, I've got a couple questions for you. The first is this, where do you need to trust God? Where do you need to trust God? And I'm not just talking about you saying it out loud, but I'm talking about how It impacts what you do. Where do you need to trust God? Where do you need to submit and apply? Submit to what he's asking and apply to what he has invited you into. Is there a moment, relationship, circumstance, situation? Do you need to submit to self-control and apply it? Do you need to forgive so that you can be set free and they can be set free? Do you need to commit in that relationship? Maybe maybe you need to get married. Maybe you need to adopt that child. Maybe you need to be generous and practice generosity instead of being selfish. Where do you need to submit and apply? Because that's what trusting God actually looks like for us. If we're gonna call ourselves Jesus followers, let's follow Jesus and submit to his word and apply what he's inviting us into. Second question, what will happen if you don't trust? Now, don't answer that yet. Hang on to it for just a second. Let that ponder in your brain. And as you're thinking about that, let me ask you a a deeper question. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust God or not trust God? Now, Hold on to that. Don't answer it. Just let it sit there for a moment. Let it marinate, right? Because here's what I want you to know. Mary and Joseph didn't know what hung in the balance of their decision to submit and apply. They were told that they're going to be the parents of the Son of God and he will be the hope of the world and forgive the world of their sin. But they didn't know that their submission and application would lead to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. They didn't know that. Do you know what hung in the balance of Mary and Joseph's decision to trust God? You did. I did. My forgiveness and freedom did. My salvation and eternal life did. 
They decided to trust God and it changed their world and the world. The truth is you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust God. And so if you don't, you don't know what you're saying no to. And when you do, you may not fully understand what you're saying yes to, but here's what you can fully understand. God can be trusted. He's proven it. He's trustworthy. And trust isn't us going, I trust God. Trust is us submitting to God and applying what he has invited us into. So what if this Christmas you and I decided to be like Joseph, who said, I'm going to do what the angel of the Lord commanded. Or what if you and I decided to be like Mary and say, may it be to me as you have said. Maybe our prayer in our time would sound a bit like this. God, may it be in my life what you want for my life. God, may may I submit to your word because of your love. God, may I obey your direction because of your faithfulness. God, may I trust what you say because of what you do. God, may I get a little bit louder this Christmas about you. You want to trust God? Submit and apply. You want to know if God is trustworthy? Submit and apply. You want to step into the purpose that God has created you for? Submit and apply. You want to get a little louder? Submit and apply. What God has invited you into, what God is asking of you, because he is trustworthy. Submit and apply. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as you posture our heart to align with yours, May we trust you, not just in word, but in deed. May our words reflect what's actually happening in our hearts and in our lives. May we submit to you. May we submit to what you're asking. May we surrender and depend upon you. And then apply what you have invited us into. May we understand that these decisions we make they could change the world. We don't know what hangs in the balance and we don't want to find out. We just want to submit and apply and say yes because there are better stories to be told that you want to tell in us and through us. So Heavenly Father, may this Christmas, may we be people who submit and apply because we trust you, because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yucaipa. See you next time.